Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Film Club Podcast, where every month we deep dive into a different aspect of cinema, directors, actors, genres, or franchises. It doesn't matter. It's always fun at the Film Club. I'm Dean. I'm Becky. And I'm Randy. And this month we're talking about foreign films, and this week we're talking about... Stalker. That's right, Andre Tarkovsky's Stalker, 1979, 162 minutes long, and one of Randy's favorite movies... It was before I read the book and then rewatched the movie, and now I'm not so sure. Looks oh. better. The, well, okay, no, it's different. different I don't want to okay. say it's better. Okay. But the three types of media that are all revolved around, you know, the same general idea here: the book, Roadside Picnic, the movie Stalker, and the video games Stalker. Shadow over Chernobyl. Well, yeah, that's the first one. Um are all kind of based around the same ideas and use similar themes, but they're not the same really almost at all. Really? I was always under the assumption that the movie was like the definitive version of this kind of story. It's probably just because I'm a film person well, and the film yeah, looms kind of large. read the book or played the games. Well, you know, lots of things. <laughs> um, but... And- Real quick though, this movie is a definitely a movie buffs movie. If you really enjoy movies, I think you'll dig this. You know, a casual watcher, I'm not so sure. Maybe, maybe I'm. I really like this movie. This is probably like fourth time seeing the film in its entirety. Um, this is what your second, third, second time. But this is this is Becky's first time seeing Stalker. It is. Did you like it? Eh. <laughs> That, eh. that was my rating in the car. I'm I'm kind of sticking with it. It's a little confusing. Yeah, it's a little confusing. It it's really pretty though. It is a gorgeous movie. It is. I will attest. Really to that. pretty. Yeah. Like, and it was not the two hours that Dean promised. Yeah. <laughs> He's like super simple watch. I I um well I think it's because the movie is part of that like slow cinema thing where it's it's very long takes and it's very drawn out. I was like. Oh yeah, there's about two hours worth of shit happening in this, but it's like a fucking three hour movie. Two two forty. Two two Mm-hmm. That's that's a lot of movie. That's a lot of movie. That's a lot. Of, not the longest we've ever done, because no, because we did Once Upon a Time in America. That's a four plus hour movie. No that is that's a very long movie. But Stalker. For those who want to know what the fuck Stalker's about, I have it written here. Oh boy. <sighs> I'm about to bust out the Rod Serling voice because it's a Twilight Zone episode. That's <clears> correct. <throat> But he can't read his own writing. I'm trying my best, goddammit. This is not my writing. You actually write in, like, Cyrillic. It's fucking unreadable. It's pretty bad. You literally write with backwards R's. No, I don't. They look backwards to me. Everything looks backwards to you. He can't read. <laughs> he can't read. Outs- outside a unnamed city is the Zone, a mysterious region abandoned by man and reclaimed by nature. And the Zone is a room. That will grant whoever enters it their deepest desire. A stalker, someone who will lead you to the room for a price. And our stalker is leading a professor, a writer, to the room. But the zone may have other plans for them when they arrive in the Twilight Zone. Or is I it AutoZone? AutoZone. I, I mean, I'm an O'Reilly's guy, you know. The whole setup for Roadside Picnic and Stalker is like... Pretty decent Twilight Zone episode, you know. But basically, in the book at least, aliens come and visit Earth, and it's you know a little bit referenced in the movie that that might be what happens. Aliens come and visit Earth, and they leave, 
and then this zone where they were gets all messed up. It's all weird. So in in the book, it is just straight aliens. There's yeah. no ambiguity ambiguity about that. No, it's just aliens showed up and left. And Did the, you hear about the thing that happened in Vegas with the aliens? Wait, there was aliens in Vegas. Wait, what happened? What yeah, happened? there was this thing where someone caught it on like their ring door camera or whatever, mm-hmm. or it was a police like the body cam of this thing that fell out of the sky, and you could see like it looked kind of like a meteor, mm-hmm. and there was like green lighting in it, and there was a police you know phone call that went in where someone was like. Something crash landed in our backyard, uh-huh. and there's these men back there that are like eight to ten feet tall. We're terrified, <laughs> and, he, and, and he's like, "Look," and she's the the operator's like, "Okay," and he's like, "Look, I'm not drunk, I'm not high. We are terrified. You need to send somebody here." And my mom's telling me about this, and I'm like, "No," because you know, science has you know destroyed me. I'm terrified mm-hmm. after seeing signs uh-huh. at a young age. You know, uh, M. Night Shyamalan, ma- Master of Terror. It's a great film. You need to watch it. I've seen signs with Mel Gibson and Walking uh, Phoenix. That's Just like... because you can name the people in the movie doesn't mean you've seen I, it. I know. I, you said that I... last time and you are like, okay, I never really watched signs. No, no, no. I watched signs. <laughs> I watched it because uh, dad, dad watched signs and that was the only movie that ever like freaked oh, him out. Okay, but here's the thing though. That was like 20 years ago almost. You don't remember things 20 years ago, Randy? No, you don't remember really. things that happened earlier today. Well, yeah, but this is a movie. Movies like are different. Like us saying that this was a stalker podcast and we're talking about science here. Dean doesn't even remember that. Wait, this is a stalker podcast? Yeah, correct. Oh, shit. So, signs. So, signs, yeah. Yes. So, apparently, something crash landed. They saw it. Then there was, like, deputy body cam footage where they were outside of the place where mm-hmm. it landed. And they're like, shit, I don't want to go back there. I'm terrified. And then I was like, oh, <laughs> they my were God. That's I was like, so no, funny. no. And they're like, yeah, these big black SUVs showed up. And mm-hmm. they, they blacked out the, the backyard. And the body cam footage for the deputies, they blacked it out as soon as they got into the backyard. They're like, oh, yeah, it's um it's private property, so we can't show it. And I'm like, bullshit. I've seen fucking so many. BS. I've seen like, so many of these videos on YouTube with the body cam. I've seen mm-hmm. people die on these fucking body exactly. cams. <laughs> Fuck you. So after hearing that, I'm like, oh, shit. They're coming for us. Could you imagine Vegas, Vegas turns into the zone and the stalkers are just like the, the slot machine grandmas being Shut like, I will show you the way to <laughs> oh Vegas' strip. I think we've gotten way off. And also like in the movie, okay, it's like only alluded to that it may have been aliens. Like they don't really know what it is in the movie. In the movie, I just thought it was, you know, something like Chernobyl. But here's a, a the lot thing. of people get get that idea from the movie because the games are about the zone happening around Chernobyl. A lot of people kind of rewrite history here, saying that the movie takes place in that same kind of mm-hmm. headspace, that same kind of idea. Chernobyl hadn't happened yet. Yeah, this movie comes mm-hmm. out in '79. Chernobyl was '84, '86, mm-hmm. something, yeah, like something like that. And um, I mean, the book came out in like '71. It's it's really interesting because the movie I feel is making it it's it's tipping his hat to like nuclear power, nuclear radiation, and things like that. Just how they describe the zone, mm-hmm. it's like oh stalkers if they're there for too long, then their kids that they have get messed up, and that's mm-hmm. like well radiation stuff from like Nagasaki Hiroshima. That mm-hmm. that's a yeah, real correct. thing that happened. And there's that shot at the end of the movie where you know oh they're back home in like nice okay not nice in. In the slums of civilization, and there's the giant nuclear power plant, like, mm-hmm. in the skyline. And it's like, okay, this is definitely tipping its hat at this, like, nuclear power, science, civilization thing. But I feel the movie's more interested in how the zone is, like, this beautiful nature thing, and civilization is this sepia, dark, gritty place. And it's mm-hmm. almost like, 
guys, maybe the maybe the combustion engine was a bad idea. Oh god, it we're might not going to get into like thing. you know the industrial society and consequences of a disaster for the human race. We're not going to get into that. Ra- Randy, where where did you get the the sunglasses and the hoodie? Is that a? Is oh, that I came the, in with that. Oh, is that is that <laughs> I the go everywhere with those? <laughs> Randy, Randy really digs the Ted Kaczynski chic line oh, at no, uh, no, the Gap. No. We don't have to get into this. We're cutting all of this nice joke. Um, Randy's like they're coming for me. The three letter agencies. The I think the the main. Um, kind of like the movie tipping its hat off to the um, to the book is the only character that shares a name between the two. The daughter, Monkey, mm-hmm. is the only character that shares a name between the two. And the same things that are alluded about her in the book are alluded in the movie with the, um, you know, stalker's kids coming out weird. In the movie, it's like, oh, she can't use her legs very well. Mm-hmm. Well, in the book... They call her Monkey because she's hairy all over and has black eyes. Oh. Okay. Okay. Yes, like, she comes out weird. She acts normal up until, like, a certain age in the book and then kind of devolves from there. Hmm. But, yeah, so I thought it was, like, weird that that was the only character they used the same name in the book and the movie. I mean, even in the movie, I, yeah, it's a thing where it's like she, like her legs are um, like crippled or in mm-hmm. some such. It's never very specific what yeah. it is. Well, she has like crutches. Yeah, but the other thing is she can move shit with her mind. Like she, oh, she has okay. Matilda huge, telekinetic huge powers. Spoiler right there. Uh, I know the you very, know, very this last scene. Movie is. Uh, let me do some quick math. Forty. Four years old. When has that ever mattered to you? You get all upset. You're like, no, no, we can't do spoilers. It's about the journey, not the destination. Yeah, actually, that's probably pretty true with this. Uh, Because her moving stuff with her mind at the end of the movie is pretty much inconsequential, I have to say. It it feels more like it's an epilogue afterthought to be like... No, God is real, and the zone is real. Like, that's that's what it fi- feels like. I don't even know if it's supposed to mean anything like that. It's just a cool thing to put at the end of the movie. Yeah. Honestly. And, and you put Beethoven in there, just mm-hmm. just over it. and it's, it's, it's pretty solid. Yeah. Pretty solid shit. There's a doggy. There's the, the, the dog is weird, okay? Firstly, the dog is weird. He's pretty. Right. Oh, Randy's I, I, like, the dog The dog is weird. And you're like, the dog's pretty. I'm not. I'm not sure if the dog's real. Well, the dog comes back with them from the zone. It does. Is, well, is uh, the well, zone okay. real? Okay, do they ever come back from the zone? <laughs> is that just, do, does he go into the... The zone at all? Does, no, does he go into the, the, the wish granter or whatever? Oh, into the room? Go into the room and, you know, this is what he sees afterwards. His back home with the dog and his, his wife family. and child. Mm-hmm. And then... Man, that'd be a pretty fucked up, like, like, what's your greatest desire? To go back to living in poverty in communist Russia. That's rough, brother. That's rough. That's the way it goes, man. That's the way it goes. He just wants to go back to his regular life, man, when people aren't trying to blow up the room. The wish granter. Tommy Wiseau, he's doing some shit in there, man. Oh, hi, Mark. <laughs> Thank you. Um, But yeah, so, this is a weird movie if we want to try and hit it from, like, a narrative perspective, because there's about... An hour where just shit just does not happen, right? Well, what do you mean? No, plenty of shit happens throughout the movie. It just happens very slowly. <laughs> very. Or is it just, there's slowly. not that much dialogue. There is not a lot of there's dialogue. There's really not a lot of dialogue in the movie. And I mean, it takes about nine minutes to finally get dialogue. Mm-hmm. Granted, that opening sequence where it's the sepia and it's and it's going into the room and it's the bed. I love that tracking shot they're doing in there. It's again the composition of the movie is super pretty. I mean, can we talk about how the, the, the sepia, the yellow is? Well, that was not intentional, right? Or was it intentional? Yeah, okay, so that 
For anybody who's even seen like the first frame of this movie, it is yellow. Yes, it is like classic sepia. So that was an intentional decision. They wanted to differentiate like the zone. That's why the zone's like very naturalistic, Mm -hmm. greens, what yellow. It it looks like, you know, real life. Mm -hmm. And the city industrial scale, that was sepia because it's doing this visual metaphor. It's like, you know, visually separating what the zone is and what um, the city is. But what you're getting at is because so Andre Tarkovsky, he filmed the entire movie or I'd say 80 percent of it. Yeah, 80 percent in color and the rest was in sepia. Oh, I'm not even talking about that. He films 80 percent of it and then sends it back to the lab in Moscow. And when they get it out, all the footage is fucked. So he goes, films 80 percent. They send it back to Moscow because they're shooting on location in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. So by the time they get it sent back to like a processing lab and they view it the entire thing's tinted green and they find out that the new film they used was like a defective batch Mm -hmm. so he was like oh well fuck it we'll reshoot the whole movie from top to bottom this is the third this what we see here is either the second or third attempt at filming the entire thing and he wanted to abandon the project a couple of times oh yeah oh how long did it take to get made uh, I believe the production timeline on this was probably like eight months to a year, something like that. But the budget to this is like wild. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's 1979, right? The budget for this is one million rubles. Do you want to take a guess how much that is in American? 200 grand? No. <laughs> no? No. You want shot in the dark. Couple mil? 13 grand. Oh my god! This movie's budget was thirteen grand. Okay. Well, okay, but it's rubles in Russia. It goes a little farther than thirteen grand American yeah. in America. Uh, yeah, but you—that's one of those things where I'm like, that. How did you make this for like thirteen grand? Dean, not a lot happens in this movie. They probably <laughs> spent all thirteen grand of it and the train station scene. Yeah. Pro- yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, well, how the- do you spend money with the rest of the movie? I mean, building building the band, the room, maybe building that that complex. No, they, they, they found that on location. Yeah. They, they just found that. They just found that. There's like, yeah, we just went out to some like abandoned nuclear sites. and We found it. Yeah. Which, I mean, bro, they probably just got most of that stuff from the Russian government, like the tanks and whatnot. That actually, I think they actually did. Like those were decommissioned tanks, and I think the, when we see it in the movie, there's like only like four or five of them. The first time when he shot it with the the original goat, there was like thirty of them, and then they were like, "We got to do it again." And the Russian guard was like, "No, fuck you! We'll <laughs> yeah. Send you like these many." Yeah, because originally they wanted to shoot at a um, an old Chinese mine, but apparently there had been like an earthquake right before they were going to begin filming, mm-hmm. and it destroyed the mine. So they had to end up, you know, moving production over to two deserted hydro plants by the oh my god i don't know if i can pronounce this oh, go for it i believe in you we'll cut it if you don't get it right <laughs> by the hagala river it's, oh, that's probably it's, fine it's in estonia so mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know yeah so i feel like the zone and the room that these are like actual buildings and it's just yeah you know let's reinforce them and use them so that we can film in here and not be crushed by whatever's left over but you know that filming in that location also had its very negative effects. Oh yes, you. I think you, you alluded to this when we watched the movie. Okay. Well, you asked the question because watching the movie, you're like, "Oh, did people fucking die making this or something?" No, no. You, you. It was the scene in which the guy has to like wade, or the the three of them have to wade through like that chest high water mm-hmm. into the final um, room. Room, you know, into the 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 like final little extra hump they have to take. They have to wade through like chest high water for literally like three feet. 
And you're like, and this is where they got cancer. And I was just like, what? He, okay. Yeah, no, he's he's not wrong. The plants they were filming at, I guess they were all had like tainted water and there's like mm-hmm. a bunch of asbestos in there. And it was one of those things where... It, it's ten. a decommissioned power plant. And, yeah. yeah. And I think like 10 people on the crew, including Tarkovsky, all got cancer. Yeah, like, Tarkovsky, his wife, and Anatoly. Uh, I forget which one he is. If he's oh, I believe he's the writer. The writer. Okay. Yeah. They the, all got lung cancer, and it it ended up killing them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because Tarkovsky's like I think he lives only like eight years after this. Mm-hmm. And it's not like it was just like they got lung cancer. They got like a rare form of lung cancer. And, and they like, were like, I know where this comes from. <laughs> exactly. It's mm-hmm. like, what are the odds? And then you know. Three out of, you know, however many in your crew. Because I, I imagine more people got sick just from yes. being in the area. Oh, yeah. And it that gives this movie a really weird vibe when you know it. Because this is, it's like Tarkovsky's last ride as a director. Because this is the last movie he makes with, like, the Soviets. This mm-hmm. is his last Soviet film. Because after this, he moves to Italy. You know, he had the whole reshoot thing. He had the, the cancer from this. This feels almost like, like his last, like, run Mm-hmm. kind of thing and everything after this is like the epilogue granted he makes like two more films three more films after this and they're all masterpiece because the man only makes masterpieces but this is like really interesting when you look at it because the whole movie is kind of like i looked at it as this metaphor for like faith and finding faith and i'm wondering if that was like conscious to him because like like what do you think the zone is or the room is i mean yeah i could see that being like salvation heaven i kind of took it like in a a walking dead kind of thing you know where it's just there has to be something better than what we have Mm -hmm. and in most of these scenarios there isn't you're kind of just stuck and you Mm -hmm. have to do you know do what you have you know what you can do but yeah i could see it where it would be you know more of a, a biblical thing where it's just you know the room is heaven and he just can't cross that threshold I think I think they allude to it kind of heavy-handedly near the end of the movie, where he makes I don't remember like the I don't speak Russian so I can't quote the movie, but um, I I demand an exact quote, <laughs> an exact blade. <laughs> <laughs> but basically, he says something to the effect of "I can only take you here. I can't um like make like put you in the room. I can only take you to the room. I can't like personally." push you over that threshold which is like you know you can lead a man to water but can't make him mm-hmm. drink mm-hmm. the whole thing with the faith too you know this man can bring the like I, I, it's a russian movie the christian faith to you mm-hmm. probably you know eastern orthodox um if you had to take a shot in the dark if i had to take a shot in the dark um bring the faith to you but he can't he can't make ins- you believe yeah he can't make you believe he can give her present all this to you but he can't make you believe you have to take that leap mm-hmm. you have to choose that path you know and the whole fact like the characters that we're dealing with it's like you know the stalker he makes that point where he's like i this is faith this gives me purpose mm-hmm. is you know i want to make people happy and you know bringing you to the room can make you happy and that's that's like my purpose right and then if like if i take the idea that maybe the room is heaven or god or whatever the scientist shows up the professor with a bomb and you know nietzsche's thing of like we have killed god or whatever oh, oh and he's like the um, scientist god, god is dead god remains dead and we have killed him yeah and it's like oh the scientist or the professor comes with a bomb a piece of technology and he's like i'm going to destroy the room and i was like oh he's coming to destroy god and the writer 
who is like, I, you know, created this stuff. I want to be remembered, but but he fears God because mm-hmm. that would show him his true self. And it's like that's it's a very interesting thing because it's like I I don't know where I'm getting at. I just think that's a really interesting. Read. Okay, here's the problem with the movie is that I don't really know what it's getting at either. Like I I get I get it. All right, but it is dense. Yeah, you need a fucking butcher's cleaver to get through this thing. Yeah, it, it's it kind. Of, I mean, last night. I mean, I was a little sleepy. I almost fell asleep while watching the movie. Same. Not gonna like. Uh, not gonna same, like. Same. It again. I I was like d- hurting through the first half. Part two brought me back. I was yeah. able to get the, part two well, moves a little bit quicker. I th- okay, I think the part where most people are gonna like try and snooze off is. Like right after they get to the zone, and they're just kind of like exploring. Mm-hmm. They haven't gotten to the room yet where they start beating down philosophical pretty fiercely, yeah. and it's it's after the cool train sequence where they like escape into the zone. Mm-hmm. Basically, when they're on like the train car for like an unbroken like two minutes or three minutes or whatever, uh, it, it's four four uh, minutes. Yeah, you have it in your notes. Ooh, yeah. Well, I I have this. So there's this. There's this genre called slow cinema. Oh, right? Dean's favorite. No, 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 no. Okay. But I'm bringing this up because the movie's 162 minutes long. There's 142 shots in the movie, right? So that means the shot average for the movie is 88 seconds, mm-hmm. but there's a number of shots that are over four minutes long. Mm-hmm. And the train sequ- or the train car sequence where they're going in, that one's, I think, the longest at like seven minutes, I think. So, yeah, but the movie is, like, doing this deliberate thing of pulling every second out of this, out of what's going Wait, on. Wait, so you're saying the part where they're finally escaped the train station and they're on that little train car, that's seven minutes of the camera going back and forth between the three of them? I th- it's, or it's, is it seven minutes when they're trying to get to the, the little train car to escape? That, shit, I didn't, I didn't note that down. But there, it's something where that train sequence is happening, where there's just a seven-minute, like, static, or being held. Oh, it's it's probably them on the cart, then. Yeah, because it... Oh, my God, no <laughs> wonder I almost felt... Jesus Christ, I mean... I feel better knowing good. that, you know, it I looks wasn't crazy the only good. one trying to pass out last night. <laughs> <laughs> you, well, you started to watch this movie at, like, midnight. No, I didn't. I started this at, like, eight. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it ended around midnight, well, yeah. Here's here's the th- like, this isn't a bash on the movie though. Like the movie is great, it's wonderful. It is an extremely pretty movie. It's got mm-hmm. like these really heavy, weighty themes. But the thing is that the themes come through all at once, and then not at all, and then yeah. all at once, and then not at all. It's almost like the thing where it's the professor who's like, and here's my. 15 minute lecture okay now take 30 minutes to think about this while i go have a smoke and i'll come back give you another 15 minutes of my lecture 30 minutes to figure this out i'm gonna go have a smoke it's it's almost like that yeah except like usually with that like you know you're you're not being presented with anything new during that 30 minutes with the movie on the other hand you're presented with like this feast through the eyes in between mm-hmm. which kind of like keeps your mind off of it so it it's one of the things where i think the intellectual toward a force of the movie is also its downfall i i i think the movie is doing it's i don't know how to put it i don't want to say trying too hard because it's not but it is kind of weighing down on the audience a little too much it, it's leaning in it's leaning in being like you guys got your notebooks today yes exactly. we watched the stalker you, you can't just have a beer and popcorn with this movie it's a coffee and notebook movie <laughs> 
This movie had me missing 2001 A Space Odyssey. Oh, God. 2001 A Space Odyssey is a masterpiece in as a stalker. But that is, that's some heavy shit because you, you hated watching 2001. It was just too much. It got too quiet and yeah. My, my favorite story is when you were touched by the, by the cinema gods and had a full-on panic attack during 2001. Jesus Christ. It was great. I mean, we're in a jammed theater. Mm-hmm. It's like an original auditorium. So you are like, you know, shoulder to shoulder with people in this theater. And we're going into uh, the, the deep space theme that takes, what, like 10 minutes? or Oh, when he goes in the black hole? Yeah. Yeah, it's something like that. It's ten, like... 10 minutes of just, you know, bright colors and nothing. Mm-hmm. Nothing. Yeah. And I, yeah, I, I had a panic attack in the theater and I was just like, oh my God, you know, I feel like I am in the middle of nowhere. I'm, mm-hmm. you know, it's overwhelming. And I told him after the movie, he goes, that's fucking awesome. And I, was like, <laughs> I knew he would say mean? something like that. Dude, would be like, that's cool. <laughs> that's cool as shit. That's badass. Yeah, that's fucking, do the movie like got you, man. That's uh, terrible. That's why he was like, he was like, I hope you have a reaction like this for, with Stalker. And I'm oh, like, no. why? I'm like, no, why would... no, Stalker, you go snoozy, snoozy, little bye-byes. Yeah. I mean, the, the movie is it's really good. Like, It's hard to talk about it because there are problems with it, but you can't really knock the movie for those problems. You kind of go, you know, that that's good you tried. <laughs> well, okay, let's, let's, let's do this, right? Let's see, like, what are the things that we really liked about it, and what are the things, like, we just really didn't like? Because we've we've talked about, like, what the movie's about. You know, mm-hmm. it's a very weighty movie. It's a lot of themes. It's talking about, like, God, nuclear power, all the, all this other stuff. I mean, I love the cinematography. Oh, okay. Oh, well, huge, we can just talk job. about how the movie looks for, yeah. like, ten minutes. Oh. oh. Gorgeous movie. Um... Anytime they did one of those dolly shots over the water... Mm-hmm. Oh, that is remember just how I told you about that shot where it's going over the water and this passes the gun and all that other yeah. stuff. And I'm like, when I forget my children's name, that that shot will still be in my brain. It is so fucking what good. That's nerd. terrible. <laughs> you forget your children's name. What's wrong with you? I forget my he's own like, name. He's like, fuck those kids. But fuck you know, this, fucking, but this beautiful scene. None of them turned out to be doctors. <laughs> I'm gonna shit about them. Exactly. You know, none, none of my kids turned out to be Andre Tarkovsky. So you know, it's, what is it? Goes. But yeah. the the shots in this movie are all incredible. I mean, it just cannot be understated how beautiful, especially once they get into the zone and everything's so naturalistic. You're just like, wow, this place looks amazing. I'd love to hike through wherever crappy place they are. You feel like you could actually breathe in the zone. Oh, true. It feel. <laughs> I was about to say it feels oxygenated. God, <laughs> well, that is does, so co- lame. Co- Dude, where did the beret to, you know, come from? Not- it's on top of your Kaczynski chic thing. Oh, jeez. Well, I mean, compared to, you know, their reality that they're living, you know, mm-hmm. this sepia tinted world, but it feels just kind of toxic it, mm-hmm. it doesn't look like oh it's a sepia movie no it feels like they're living in the middle of like smoke like chemicals yes. just it's it feels like there's a chemical haze over everything because of the sepia tone the yellow yeah. tone it, everything they're living in like an oil barrel like mm-hmm. also how the the stalker's house when we see it and the walls are that weird okay adobe can we please talk about how weird those walls look in the first scene yeah. like holy <laughs> shit like i'm like what do they look like normally I want to know what they look like just in natural lighting. Are do they look as lumpy and in, like weirdly offsetting in real life as know, they do it, in sepia tone? You know, it's got to be you know water in the walls or something. But something. It, but it just looks like there's like monsters in the walls. Yes, and, exactly. You're and, like, am I making out a face here? Or is yeah. my mind making things up here? And there's like, is that thing. the Necronomicon? There is water everywhere like inside their house there's water like on the floor like yeah. kind of seeping mm-hmm. into the floorboards and i'm like what 
everything is wet in this movie. Yeah, yeah. everything's wet and dripping. You know, this, this is a pretty wet movie. It's got that drip <laughs> going on. Um, and I'm trying, but it. I, I bring it up because it's so weird because it's like this natural thing water is seeping into this like you know sepia world mm-hmm. and when you're in the zone you see the machines and it's like oh it's kind of like this like you know nature influences one thing and technology influences the other in these weird ways but it's like it's also a thing where tarkovsky's obsessed with water is mm-hmm. he i mean um in mirror there's that whole thing where mm. it's like the rain and in this there's all the water in here uh in andre rubelev there's this whole thing with water um, he, he has a, a, that's a motif that shows up in a lot of his movies because he's obsessed with like this naturalistic world. Water is a mm-hmm. really good indicator for that. And also, I mean, you water, put water also, on the floor, it looks fucking good. Yeah, it looks amazing in this movie. It does, but water also has its, you know, symbolism and its meaning. So it's like you, he could try to go based off of something else, mm-hmm. trying to tell a story through the water. I mean, also the water is like the one thing that like keeps everything connected, you mm-hmm. know, other than the, the stalker. But yeah, the water is the one thing that keeps the zone and the, um, the place in Estonia connected together, you know, they're they're both one and the same in a way through the water, but they are different. Yeah. Well, you need water for, for life, right? You know, it's kind of thing like those zones alive and it's full of this water and the, so the city is, it has water in it, but doesn't feel alive. And you know, it has a much less water. It's less wet. It's most Mm -hmm. things are just kind of soaked. Yeah. Kind of thing. And that's like, oh, it's like a dying civilization where mm-hmm. the zone's thriving, but no one can go there because it's the Twilight Zone. I mean, that was like one of the very first, you know, ideas of like, oh, where does all life come from? You know, back before they figured atoms and whatnot was water. Everything is water, yeah. you know. You're water. I'm water. Everything's fucking water. Everything's water. Like, that's before they figured out, you know, like, that. that's like very, that's before there was four elements. There's only three. <laughs> there were only <laughs> that three type elements? Of shit. Oh, shit. But it was water. It was water. water and water. This is a pretty wet. This is a pretty wet podcast. Water, air, water, water, mm. water, ice. Oh, Crazy! It makes up everything. That's fucking wild. <laughs> but um, but yeah, the the look of the movie, the that naturalism and I again, I'm still trying to figure out what the fuck those walls are made out of. Yeah, I don't know, but they chose some nice walls to film with right there that kind of get that uneasy Mm -hmm. tone in right away. Also, the fact that you're, like, peering through a door Mm -hmm. at this family that's all sleeping in one bed, and the walls are so unsettlingly weird, and everything, it's sepia tone, so everything's weird already. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know of any other movie that's in sepia tone. At least none made past, like, 1930. I mean, you know, it reminded me a lot of The Wizard of Oz, where we mm-hmm. start in sepia, and then, you know, we transition into color, but it felt like we went back, we kept going back and forth between these two worlds versus, mm-hmm. you know, Wizard of Oz, where we just, we progress into color, and then, you know, come full circle mm-hmm. back to sepia. Oddly enough, Andre, one of Andre Tarkovsky's favorite films was The Wizard of Oz. Nah, no shit. <laughs> yeah, you know. As soon as she mentioned that, I and You were just like, yeah, yeah, yep, this makes yep, sense. This makes sense, okay, yeah. <laughs> But the name of the movie threw me because, I mean, we have that long scene of them, you know, peering through the doors and mm-hmm. into the bed. And I'm like, oh, OK, stalker. So we've got, you know, an actual stalker issue. Oh. And then I was like, oh, no, this is not a stalker issue. I'm like, oh, OK. So that that's actually funny because the guy that wrote the book, uh, Roadside Picnic, he introduced the word, the English word stalker into the Russian vernacular. OK. Like that was like an invention he came up with. 
Oh, really? Yeah, wow. he was looking for like a word to like name the people that like go out into the zone. He was going to name them like trappers or something mm-hmm. other something along those lines, like uh prospectors, I think was the first thing he went with. Yeah. Because it's it's this is where like the book and the movie are like very I mean the book and the movie are very different in a lot of ways, but um the stalkers don't just like lead people into the zone in the book. They like go there to recover mm-hmm. artifacts and bring them out of the zone to sell yeah. for money. And so he eventually came up with Stalker, and it just kind of, like, fuck, smash, hit. Like, even, like, when the Chernobyl nuclear yeah, disaster man. happened, the people that would go into the zone would be called Stalkers. Yeah. For a completely unrelated, like, thing. It was just in the Russian vernacular, and they're like, yeah, you're, you're a Stalker. You know, this is the exclusion zone around Chernobyl. Bada bing, bada bong, you're a Stalker. Here, I, here you go. I mean, that's just a great fucking name for a movie, for a book. I... I'm surprised. No, it wasn't the name for the book. I'm surprised yeah, he didn't be like title. roadside picnic. That's pretty good. Stalker and just puts the fucking sticky note on top of the book cover. Like, <laughs> how did he? Because that's such. It's such a good name. It's evocative. It, like it gets your I, mind rolling. I it makes you think it's a horror movie at first. Right? I think that's yeah. the main thing is that it's evocative. You know. But did you think it was like going to be a slasher movie? I didn't think it was going to be a slasher movie, but I thought you know, oh, okay, we're going to have an issue and see how this you know progresses, and then I'm like, oh no, this is. Very different than what I thought I was walking into. I, I would have probably thought of like a s- very slow, methodical, kind of like through the eyes of the stalker mm-hmm. type of movie. Yeah. So it's like, I didn't think, you know, anything, you know, was going to happen. But like what Randy was saying, I thought, you know, that's what we're getting like a glimpse into mm-hmm. the, the his person, world. his world, why he operates the way he operates. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, no, we're we're out in the middle of Chernobyl. Cool. Except it's not true. It's, it's in not. Estonia. It's in Estonia. It, it's one of those things where it's just like your brain wants it to be Chernobyl because you're filling in yes, that gap. Yes. You're, you're filling in that mental gap. You know, everybody associates this movie with like Chernobyl, Chernobyl nuclear disaster. You know, Three Mile like, Island, some sort of like nuclear apocalypse, right? Yeah, it's just like, it's not, that, that hasn't happened yet. <laughs> it hasn't, but you know, the brain wants to latch onto something that's familiar. I, I thought like both the movie and the book came out after the Chernobyl nuclear disaster before like I read the book and then I was like, what the fuck? And then I was like, holy shit, it's been all turned upside down. The games have ruined me. <laughs> uh, I mean, that is an interesting thing because, you know, I feel the, you know, the the book, you know, the movie, the games, they're all like different takes, right? Correct. This would be a very, you'd probably describe it, this is like the philosophical, very, you know, thinky part. Correct. How would you describe like the book and the game, like tonally? So, I mean, the book is like kind of like a pulpy sci-fi, but... Oh, I love that. But I the, love the sound of that. But here's it's a pulpy sci-fi, but it's about regular people. That's kind of like the pitch for the book when they like I cuz you know I read like the notes that they had and whatnot. But the pitch for the book is basically it's like aliens visit and they leave suddenly and nobody's seen them or whatever mm-hmm. and they left behind trash on their roadside picnic. They went to Vegas. They went to Vegas. Yeah. Um and this is kind of these people dealing with this and they're just normal, everyday people. You know, the main character, you know, he just happened to have lived near this little village in the middle of nowhere. And so he knows the area. He go, he knows where to go through the zone, whatever. He's grown up here. And the other characters in the book are, you know, people that are just profiteers or scientists. But they're all normal people. They eat. They drink. You know, just normal people dealing with this, dealing with the zone. Mm. And so the game, on the other hand, is... A little more philosophical than that. I think the book 
kind of just you know just has like a fun romp through it it has throws out a little philosophical ideas here and there but not much and then the book the game takes that little bit of philosophical ideas adds on top of it just a little bit and then you know makes it about the nuclear disaster and bada bing bada bong call it a day yeah guns and shooty shooty and finding artifacts and the movie is kind of like the odd one out Mm -hmm. the movie was like no no it's all about the philosophy and i don't give a shit about aliens or artifacts (laughs) It it is very weird. Like they are all taking this vague concept of there's the zone and there's a, is there a room in the book in the games? So there's not a room in the book, but there's a room in the game. Mm-hmm. The room in the book is just like this giant artifact called the Gold Sphere. Does the same thing as in the movie. Grants your most uh, desired wish. And in the game, there is like the Wish Granter, which is like a room in the Chernobyl nuclear power plant ostensibly probably where like the the, the, the reactor was mm-hmm. and it turns out it's like fake in the game but that's like a whole nother thing but basically most people believe it as literally the room from stalker okay and that's that's interesting in the game it's like called out as being fake because that's something a lot of people speculate in when you're watching the movie right mm-hmm. it's like because nothing happens like there's no like Oh, where's the fucking aliens? Where you know, it's some where's the supernatural stuff? Is the stalker just kind of like, it'll grant your wish? I swear, and like kind of conning these people because, or he's a true believer, mm-hmm. I think. But I'm wondering if somebody just like this was a rumor, and he's just like mm-hmm. on faith, the room is magic. Yeah, I, it's it's leaning really, really heavily into those faith vibes because he's trying to like lead you through this world of traps. But you don't see any of these traps, right? Like, the only trap they get caught in is one where they get a little lost one time. Yeah. Right? Like, he's saying, like, oh, it's a dangerous place here. You can never go back the way you came and all that stuff. But you never see any of that. I mean, in the, in the book and in the game, like, it's very clear, you know? Like, you take one wrong step and you get thrown ten feet up in the air and ringed out <laughs> like a towel. Like, I, but that, it's not a thing in the movie. That and would I have been entertaining to see. That would have been crazy. <laughs> could you, uh, could you imagine movie. fucking the Russian Robert Duvall just gets strung out like an old towel? <laughs> Jeez, I mean, but, if, if an alien just walked into the frame in one of the scenes, it would have blown my mind. But like, what? <laughs> if we're dealing with aliens? <laughs> well, I think, I think it's just like him leaning so strongly into the, into like the faith themes of the movie is just like this person's leading through you through all this stuff and says, oh, it's dangerous out there. Don't do that. Don't sin. Even though you can see, like, you know, you look around you and you're like, well, I don't see anything. Yeah. You know? I mean, there's also the thing where when the writer's approaching the house and he's like, I'm just going to go straight into it. Fuck you guys. And as they're approaching, they're like, all right, do it at your own risk. And as he gets closer, he hears the thing saying, stop, come back. And mm-hmm. when he goes back, they're just like, why'd you call me back? And the stalker's like, I didn't say fucking dick. Yeah, and the, the t- professor's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, no, the two of them, the professor and the stalker, both think that each other said yeah, it. Yeah, they, they hear it, too. They mm-hmm. hear it, too, and they're like, oh, why'd you call him back? And I was like, I didn't do it. And the other guy, no, me either. And, you know, the guy comes back, and he's like, why'd you guys call me back? We didn't. And that's the thing where it's like the zone is so vague as to what it can and cannot do. And there's... So we, vague in the movie. Very. And But we were talking about, like, the cinematography. So, um, Becky, you remember the shot where... It's coming in, it's through, like, the car door or whatever. Yeah. And, you know, the grass is kind of moving out of the way. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at first we're like, oh, you know, our characters are going through and they're looking through this. And then they all three of them walk in front of frame. Yeah. What what moved the grass? The camera, obviously. (laughs) Well, obviously the camera. But I'm like, in my head, I'm like, that... The wind? 
the dog probably <laughs> yeah. you could probably explain it as the dog but it's supposed it's, to be like this ominous zone. force you know it's like the evil dead vision right Where yes it's like, exactly like the zone is watching them mm-hmm. everything did, did is evil ha- dead did they have their camera on wooden boards and you know tarkovsky was just running through the field with it <laughs> no tarkovsky's <laughs> on his motorcycle being like don't worry guys i got this <laughs> That would be so great if there was an Evil Dead vision cam in this. (laughs) We're going to get so off track if we start talking about Evil Dead. Oh, yeah. Oh, Oh, yeah. Oh, (laughs) my God. But I think, you know, the whole force of... I think this is kind of like my main gripe. We're going to get into my main gripe about this movie. (laughs) It's just, it's so heavy-handed in its themes, while also being a little obtuse about it. Very obtuse. It's just like... (laughs) The theme is, like, so blaringly obvious. It's about God and faith and all that stuff. But he's just so thick with it that you're like, well, there is, like, I could cut through this and, like, learn more. But I feel like I've kind of already got it. Yeah. Just kind of, like, nailing it into, you know, the coffin. It's like, I get it. I get well, it. Well, I get it. And there's more I could pursue pursue here. But I I don't feel like it's necessary to, like, cut through the dialogue to figure out the real meat and potatoes the meat and potatoes of movies ideas because it's like kind of presented up front you're like you know the the stalker is like a um missionary or however you want to call it you know somebody who brings people to the faith and then the professor is a man of science no shit coming to to investigate (laughs) this and then the writer is somebody who writes cynically about life Mm -hmm. you know he's and it's just, it's so obvious and heavy-handed, like, bro, I get it. Well, it, I think it is It is kind of heavy. That is, I'm pretty sure it's about, you know, God. I, I think it's it's a pretty easy, like... It can't like, be about anything. If you tell me it's about something else, I'm going to be like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> of course. Dean's either, it's either Evil Dead or a ham sandwich. There's, it has to be one of these two. There's no other choice. But I think each character also brings their own self-contained theme within them. Like I like the writer, right? When he's going in, he, I think his thing is like the um the truth of like the human soul or mm-hmm. like truth mm-hmm. of desire because they talk about a porcupine, which is like the previous stalker, or the yes. famous mm-hmm. one, correct? And he's teacher. like, yeah, yeah, the teacher, and he's in the stalkers telling them about porcupine. He's like, yeah, he went into the room and he got he got wealthy, he got all the money he could ever want, and he killed himself like three days later. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, that's wild, and he, and. At the end of the movie, you find out why. And it's because he went into the room because he wanted to save his brother from execution. But the room doesn't no, grant your didn't wish. did his brother die to the zone? I, I, It was something like that. But I think it, he went there to like save his brother or do something. Correct. But the room doesn't grant you wishes. It grants you your deepest desire. Correct. And Porcupine was greedy, so he wanted wealth more than anything. Yeah. And thus he got you know all the money. Mm-hmm. And the writer is like... I don't want to go in there now because I don't know what it'll give me, and I fear that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because what is he it? Con- fears himself. He fears himself mm-hmm. consciously. He wants to be you know, a writer remembered forever, and that's why he's like, you no, know, yeah, they might grant me eternal life. Oh, could, mm-hmm. could okay. The writer character is probably my favorite character in the movie. He's very talky. I love him. He was in Mirror, and I think he's Andre Rublev in um, Tarkovsky's other film, Andre Rublev. Mm-hmm. But I, I like it because he's like. Man, living forever would fucking suck. And I'm like, he's a knower. You know, brother. You know. Let's, let's preach it. Like, go off, brother. <laughs> uh, but it's it's um it's also he's funny. He's funny as hell in this movie. Yeah, he's pretty funny sometimes. Yeah. 
Also, there's also the gag where the phone rings in the fucking room. Oh, yes. <laughs> that is one of the best parts where the phone rings and they're like, oh, no, this isn't the clinic. And he puts the phone down and they're just like, what? What the fuck? <laughs> yeah, okay. Gotta, gotta explain the joke here. So they're like arguing, right? The stalker's like, writer guy, fuck you. Writer guys, fuck you too. And the professor's like, no, no, fuck both of you. And then the phone goes off and he's like, he's like, ah, oh, goddamn, they're arguing. And he's like, hey, no, this isn't a clinic. In the zone where there's, we haven't seen dick. There's no they're people. In a, a there's, abandoned power plant, ostensibly. Yeah, there's like, there's no like power. There's nothing. And then he's like, oh, wait a minute, that. All three of them just look <laughs> at the phone. Did that shit just actually happen? And then the professor's like, "Give me a second. And he just makes a fucking phone call. The professor like reaches for the phone, and the stalker's like, "Don't do that." And the professor just, "I'm gonna do it anyway." I'm so hungry. I'm gonna order a pizza just for me. <laughs> Fuck you guys. Yeah. And then we get to figure out, like, the professor's, like, his whole deal. Like, why he's there. Yeah, well, that's when you find out he wants to destroy the room. And then he kind of, granted, he ends up not really going through with it. That's kind of vague. But the professor, this is where we get into his thing. I think, I'm trying to figure out what his deal is. Because if, like, oh, the writer, he's afraid of, like, you know, the human spirit, the soul, like, the... He's representing, like, the dark reaches of the soul, right? What's the professor kind of doing? Well, the professor, he's, he's, he feels that the room only brings evil, you know? Which, again, kind of heavy-handed science versus, <laughs> mm-hmm. oh, my God. He doesn't want the little dictators to get the power of the room. Yes, yes. he doesn't want the little dictators to get the power of the room. He doesn't want the room to corrupt people, you know? He's... He hears a story about Porcupine, you know, the Porcupine went into the room and look what happened to him. Mm-hmm. And the stalker only knows of Porcupine, uh, like, or only has the story of Porcupine going to the room and coming out and what happened to him. All the other people the stalkers led to the room, he doesn't have stories about them. He's like, oh, after I led them out of the zone, that was the last time I ever saw them, never spoke to him again, mm-hmm. have no idea what happened. They paid and, me my 50 rubles and that was it. And that was it. And the professor's just like, well... So, one of one that we know about, he hung himself three days later. Mm -hmm. We should probably blow up the room. It's a bad thing. This way, no one can access it. No Mm -hmm. one can, you know, be killed by it or use it for... No one can be corrupted by it. Which is a a very anti-science thing. Like, I figure he would want to investigate it and and truly understand what the hell it is. But he's like, no, we must destroy it. It's because there's no understanding it Mm -hmm. because it's religion, you know. Mm. Well, it represents religion. It's purely belief-based. To understand it is a foolhardy... It's um, not something physical that you could just take apart and, you know, analyze it. It's mm -hmm. something that you have to believe. And that would be terrifying to him. As a great poet once said, I believe because it is absurd. Mm. It would, it would be fucking terrifying to, like, to be in the zone on... Granted, it looks, like, so pretty, but I think, oh, if, so I, pretty. But I think if I walk there, I'd be like, you know, I haven't heard a bird or a, oh. or a dog or anything. That's another oh, thing, the sound in this movie. Here's another thing, though, that, like, different... I don't know, like, uh, ooh, look at me, I read the book, so I'm going to talk about the book the whole <laughs> fucking time. Why do you think we took Brock on this episode, <laughs> Randy? Damn it, man. <laughs> I good, feel so lame. I'm like, ooh, you know, the book, the book, the book. But, no, you're fine. Yeah, um, the... Another difference here is that in the zone, in the book, there are no birds, there are no dogs, there is no nothing other than plant life. In the movie, we do hear birds, Mm -hmm. and there is a dog, and you're just kind of like, well, if there are all these traps around, supposedly, how's the dog getting around? That's why I think the dog is something else. 
Well, also, they do kind of mention in the in the movie, right, the stalker says, oh, the zone changes, but only when humans are around. Because humans are the only things affected by... The zone? Religion. So <sighs> would that make the dog like a... Well, the dog's just natural. The dog, the dog doesn't give a shit about you know, well, God or... Well, no, that's why I'm like, you know, or... is the dog supposed to be like a spirit guide or something? Because he stays with um, our stalker in the movie. Oh, what? like he's an angel? Yeah. Some, something of the zone mm. that can cross between realms? Because, eh, cause maybe. Because you, you see him, maybe. you know... I didn't think about this before. ...kind of lingering in the shadows, and then when the stalker's, you know, going to sleep on the ground, and he's, like, half halfway in the water and half on land. Which, beautiful composition, by the way. Beautiful shot. Nobody would ever do it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. But then you see the dog come up to him, smell him, and then lays down on him. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know, is this a way that he's protecting the stalker? And then he comes back, and he lives with the stalker and he's the family. guardian angel? Yeah. That, oh. that was the vibe that I was getting. And that's actually a good point because when we see the dog again, or at least later on in the movie, it's in front of like the two dead bodies in the um, yeah the two the, skeletons that are embracing each other. Yeah, they're embracing each other, and it's like sitting in front of them, like like it's guarding it, mm-hmm. right? And there's like that weird thing where's the door like opening and closing in the background, and yes. you're like, is like somebody there? And then you pull out, and it's like, oh no, everyone we've all of our characters on the other side, like the dog is looking at them. The mm-hmm. door open and close behind him is like the wind or the something. wind, something, the zone, whatever. And mm-hmm. it's like, or it's like the dog is guarding this passageway, right? Mm-hmm. Like it is like, it is, you know, St. Peter protecting the pearly gates or whatever. And it's like that. Even though the thing behind him is not the room, it's something completely different. Yeah. That's the real room. The real room. The, the, the stock- room without the koi fish. Could, I love that thing where it's like the room just has fucking koi fish in there for some reason you know i'm not whatever. sure if they're koi fish but that that's like the vibe they get you know yeah well, it's catfish maybe i don't know but yeah the the dog being like an angel or some sort of like spirit guide that makes that makes a lot of sense mm-hmm. and then extrapolating that then the daughter monkey that's like a christ-like figure right well, she, she, well, when we see her back in the city, like when we finally get a shot of just her, then the color's back mm-hmm. in the cityscape. Yeah. And it's like, oh, she is of the zone and she is born of like, you know, in the zone and of, you know, people here and she's in this realm. And it's mm-hmm. like, oh, the zone is now outside. Like you can interpret that as like a Christ-like yeah, figure. And then I that makes the ending kind of work a little because she's performing miracles, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the, see, this is what I was getting about. You know, <laughs> it's like the <laughs> movie's about God and Christianity and Jesus and yeah. shit. Yeah. Okay. Now we can dig it a little deeper and figure out who is um, Jesus and shit. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's like, fuck and then it's like the stalker is like i you know we're saying he's like a missionary somebody mm-hmm. of faith but it's like he's a, a he's a believer oh god what is the phrase he's a, a fisher of men a fisher or well, what, what, is, what, what is, dating site is that no it's from uh when <laughs> when jesus goes up to the two fishermen or whatever and he like um recruits them they become apostles or whatever and he mm-hmm. says i'll t- i'll teach you to be fishers of men oh i see i see something not, along those lines not reading your bible i see I I have read it once many, 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 many moons ago. And probably only the New Testament. Uh, Old Testament is thick, bro. Like, there's <laughs> no way young I, Dean read through that thing. I skimmed through the Old Testament when I got oh, to the cool... Has hard times. <laughs> when I got to the, to the cool fantasy shit. The Old Testament, there's some cool-ass fantasy shit oh, that would make Tolkien blush. God, all right? Tolkien probably blushed when he read it, and that's why he wrote The Lord of the Rings, okay? Like, you know, and C.S. Lewis, they were like, yeah, let's just do the Bible to Electric Boogaloo. Okay, but C.S. Lewis is 
is a little more heavy-handed than Tolkien yeah. is. Tolkien is like, well, it's also World War One, and C.S. Lewis is like, no, it's it, it's just Jesus. Did you know Aslan is Jesus? Yes, yes. we know Aslan <laughs> yes. is Jesus. Just like how I know the stalker's a missionary, the yeah. professor represents science, and the writer represents cynicism. Yes, yes, I get it. Or, or is the or is the stalker? Um, was it Joseph? The fa- uh, the uh, yeah, father of, of Jesus, right? Mm. Like, is that is that is that is that too no. weird? Or is that they, 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 so? that they never make, make much you know, sense. They never make a reference that you know, monkey is you know, an immaculate. Yeah, no. it's it's just you know, yeah, you know, I got with you. My mom said you'd be problems. Mm-hmm. You were problematic. Yes, but then life would have been boring without you. So it's kind of like just weighing it, you know. Oh, I love her, the wife, by the way. Care, uh, I love her. Uh, the wife in the book, I think, is called Gouda. Mm-hmm. And sh- um, like very different in the book. Oh, really? Yes, very different. She's in in the movie. She kind of has this like love hate relationship, and she's very torn and very kind of like outspoken about how torn she is with the stalker. In the book, she's a little bit more sub. It's similar, but she's more subdued with it. She's more just kind of like. Okay, you know, like go ahead, go out into the zone. She's not throwing herself on the floor, writhing around all weirdly. <laughs> yeah, like, like, like in the movie. Like, bro, get up! What are you doing? <laughs> was, I don't know. That's one of the weirdest scenes in like all of movie history for me. Like, the, she just throws herself on the floor. Just ah. She's like, "Why must you go to the zone? I'm right here." Why can't I be his zone? Oh my god. <laughs> Come on, take me to the bone zone. Oh, Shut god. the fuck up. That's terrible. It's it, oh god, this movie's great. But the the wife, you know, you make that mention, you know, she does the whole thing where she's like, I'm with you and I don't fucking know why. My mother hated you, but ah, there's something about well, that stalker vibe, you know, really gets me going. She's into rebels. Well she's like, you know, I don't I don't have any regrets, even though there's been pain, there's been, you know, loss, there's been all this stuff. I don't have any regrets about being with you though. It was better than being bored. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what uh, basically is what she says. <laughs> is is she representative of something? I don't know. That's ooh. Is maybe it, maybe is we it like found love? something that's not Jesus. I didn't get any Mary vibes off of her. Is, no. I'm wondering if it's like a love, like a pure kind of love, because she's like, True. I don't know why I'm with you, but I, I can't no. not be without yeah, you. Yeah, you're you're right. It's a pure, oh, it's a pure Christian love. You know, there might be hardships and whatnot, but you won't regret it. <laughs> I rolled my eyes there when I, right after I said, just so everybody at home knows, I was like, oh, God, right after I said that. Well, I don't know if that's like an accurate thing. That was just like, I'm, I'm getting a vibe kind of thing. Hey, I could interpret it that way, and you can't say my interpretations are not accurate. I can't. Boo, would you would you like to tell him he's wrong? I'm just here. Yeah, Dean took a whole class saying that he can't say that. <laughs> Shut up. I was indoctrinated in, into artistic theory. It's fucking horrible. Oh. But the, man, there's so much of this movie that's like, Okay, can we talk Chewy. about can we talk about like one part of the movie that's just cool normally and oh, it's not yeah. like heavily philosophical or anything? Is it when they start shooting the train through the escape? Gates? Yeah, like you, like everybody, the yeah. train escape was cool, right? Yeah, it was, was great. Like, I was like, oh, cool, we have some action, and then nothing after that. It, it's great tension build up, and then when the payoff, when they're running <laughs> through, and the guns start going off, mm-hmm. and I'm like, this is this is cool. This and is like, great how are they escape not getting shit. Shot? Because you see the, what is it, the professor? The writer, I think. The writer, the writer almost gets shot. Yeah, like, a writer almost gets shot. Like, he drops, really and I'm like, close. man, didn't make it. And I'm like, oh, no, he's fine. I'm like, oh, okay. 
that's like the ro- the the zone will not let him die yet. Mm-hmm. He's like, you have a purpose, you know. Well, it's because the guards are shooting from him from, from some probably like a block away or some shit yeah. through a window, you know. And these are like you know fucking cheap Soviet guns. They, they ain't fucking yeah, hitting anything. They they don't even could not afford real bullets. I use stones. Also, I feel they didn't mention it in the movie. But I felt like they could have used to mention it about, like, why the guards weren't storming, like, the building they're in. Yeah. Well, um, it, like, the guards are, like, afraid of the zone. Like, they don't want to go into the zone. They're, it's, it's you know, pretty heavy in, like, the book or whatever. Like, they're, they're like, trying to, like, sneak back into civilization, right? And there's, like, this guard post, like, right in front of them. And the guards know they're there, right? Mm-hmm. And they, like, take pot shots at them or whatever behind some, like, gravestones that they're hiding behind. But they will not. No matter any circumstances, go and get them. And it's kind of like the same thing in the movie. I think the movie would have benefited from that. From like just mentioning it like, oh, you know, why aren't they following us? Well, because they're more afraid of the zone than they are afraid of not catching us. You know, it would have been great to see, like, one of the soldiers, like, fall over the line and end up in the zone. And, and like, be like, oh, like, oh, God, oh, my God I, I can't get back. You know, <laughs> yeah, that would have been great. That would have been a wild thing if they're like doing the thing and he falls over into the zone and like he starts freaking out he's like i'm over i'm over and one of his like commanding officers just caps him just right ca- there just <laughs> drops him very different movie different movie they but like that like- setup of suspension would be like everything after that no matter how slow it is i'm like what the fuck are they gonna see that like that like, tension could have just been insane. like one or two lines between like the stalker and the other ones you know when they're like in the building getting ready to leave and they're like taking their sweet time. Well, they gotta fill up the the tank. Yeah, you know, like check the transmission. It takes a while to, for them to like leave this building where they're being shot at in. And you know the stalker could have just told them like, oh, like they won't, they won't pursue us. You know, they're afraid of, they're more afraid of the zone than anything. But to keep that tension, you have to think that they're gonna storm that building mm-hmm. any second. Yeah, but I mean, like he could have said it like right afterwards, like yeah. you know, keep the tension, and then like once they get on the cart, mm-hmm. they're just like, you know, what, where are the guards? And they don't come to the zone. They don't go there anymore. We don't go to Ravenholm. <laughs> Half-Life 2 reference? Uh, yes, Current I'm sorry. Year? I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I thought they did like have a passing line of that. They might have, and I'm just misremembering. I I felt like they had a passing line where it's like, oh, the guards don't the guards are afraid of the zone or something like that. That's why like the stalker I I think that was like maybe he at the bar. He might no. I think he might have said that. Like, mm, right before they, like, rode up behind the train, like, when they were waiting in the, like, broken building. Also, I think all the buildings in the movie are, like, great, run-down, glass all over the floor. This this is, you know, Soviet-era production design. We just hid this shit laying around. I all mean, it, everything looks like a bombed-out building, even though it's, like, we're, nothing indicates that this is, like, a war-torn area. But every building is, like, some bombed-out piece of crap. I mean, it's also fascinating because Andre Tarkovsky was the art director for it. Yeah, he fired the previous art director after they after they were like, "You done fucked up the literal whole movie." I'll do it myself. Yeah, that's what you you know, call shot yeah. right there. But yeah, like the the production design of the movie looks oh, wonderful. I remember the line that like we were thinking like may have been mentioned, and they were talking about the train, and they were like, "What do they need a train in the zone?" And the guy goes, "Oh, the train won't go past the guard station." So it's not necessarily mm. about the guards, but it kind of implies that the train won't go into the zone. It's not going to go past the guard station. Interesting. That whole sequence really shows that, like, Tarkovsky's like, I could do, like, a suspense little action beat thing. Mm-hmm. 
I just don't I, want to. He doesn't want to. Yeah. I mean, it's a really good part of the movie, and mm. it helps kind of separate everything of the movie. It's like this little action beat kind of it helps exemplify the like highs and lows of the other movie. Like this is the highest point of the action, and it's like that so that we can have even lower parts of inaction of just experiencing what's happening around us. This little, you know, little chase, little, you know, here and there of escaping and whatnot. You know, it's like, it's like a, I don't know, like one of those like Italian chase movies. Hmm. And, um. Italian Spider-Man. Italian Spider-Man is a masterpiece. (laughs) And, um, just, uh, that helps make that like four minute long shot of them just on the trolley on the train tracks feel much more weighty. And it's not even like the last time we get a shit ton of tension in the movie. When he's going through that tunnel near the end of the movie, it is so fucking tense. Where they just send the writer ahead because the stalker's uh. like, eh, if you die, it's not me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that is... I get so uncomfortable because I'm like, I've seen the movie before. Nothing's going to happen. But fucking, it's going to come out the fucking corner because they all float down there. You know, okay, that's one thing about the... God, I've got to fucking mention the book again. Um, <laughs> book count, please. <laughs> book count. Man, we actually... God, I don't even want to know how many times I've mentioned it by now. Okay, but say you are a Russian person who's read the book and is now seeing the movie, like in 1979 or whatever. You see that section of the of the movie, you're probably on edge because they're going through the what they call like the meat grinder afterwards, and that's the thing I mentioned earlier that throws you ten feet up in the air and rings you out like a mm-hmm. like a towel. Oh, in the book. Right, and so when like that whole sequence, like if you had read the book and you you watch the movie for the first time, like that experience, oh man, like on the edge of your seat. This is like a suspense movie. <laughs> if you were like in that framework, you know, if you were a Russian citizen who had read the book and then watched the movie, this would be the worst suspense movie because he'd be watching it just waiting for somebody to die you're like okay like where's the hell ooze like you know where's the bug traps and all the shit from the book you'd be like bro don't go that way like the one the guy starts walking up to the house being like fuck you guys i'll find my own way and whatnot you'd be like he's gonna die but like you know because we have such a different framework for the movie like we know nothing happens well which kind of ruins that suspense boo yeah but she doesn't have I'm, I, I didn't mean to like interrupt like that but like you didn't you didn't have that background of the book though no. you you had no idea i went completely blind mm-hmm. so it's just you know yeah we keep getting the threats of you know you can't step out of place walk in his footsteps mm-hmm. all these things but it's like we haven't really seen anything happen so it's like so it he, didn't feel that way to you right no it's like if he walks into the house he's probably gonna be okay yeah I'm I'm curious. So was there no point when they were in the zone where you felt like on edge, like they were in danger? Not really. I mean, because we we're in the zone for such a long time, and it's like, okay, nothing's happening. Even though mm-hmm. he keeps saying, you know, this could happen to you, this could be deadly or fatal, nothing's happening. Even the dog doesn't attack anybody. So it's just kind of like, okay, you know, maybe he's just really overselling that the zone is dangerous like like the most dangerous things that ever happened in the zone is like the guy pulls out the gun yeah the writer pulls out the gun mm-hmm. and, and the, the bomb and the bomb i like how they pull the writer pulls out the gun and the stalker's like don't use the gun he's like i guess i won't use this gun and he just puts yeah. the gun away yeah. i'm like fucking Chekhov's gun was on screen for three seconds and yes. it didn't get fired i do love the fact that the stalker like pushes the gun into the water mm-hmm. that's pretty sweet it's a 
It's a great shot. Mm-hmm. It's a great again. There's so many just great like shots. He is like so afraid of it. Yeah. The stalker is so afraid of the zone, and the movie, in a weird way, never explains why he's mm-hmm. so afraid of the zone. He just says it's dangerous. Everything's implied. I mean, it really is in the headspace, that mindset of you read this wildly popular, pulpy sci-fi novel and then watched the movie back in, like, the 70s. And it's interesting that Tarkovsky decided to adapt it at all, because I think even he said... The only thing similar about my movie and the book is there is a stalker and there is a zone. And it pretty much ends there. Yeah, pretty much. They're very, very different. And I'm wondering why he would... Was the concept of the zone and the stalker so good he was like, I gotta use it. Uh, I'll pay whatever royalty rights it is to make it. Oh, there probably wasn't any. The, 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 The... the state made him do it. The, well, I mean, the um, writers were probably like, freaking hell yeah, you know, Andre Tarkovsky is going to make a movie out of my book. Let's go. And they, they were already, they were busy trying to get the thing published in an anthology by the Russian government, which was a whole nother thing. Oh, there's a, there's a thing? Oh, well, I, I, we don't have to go on this for too long, but basically they wrote like a trilogy of books of these like sci-fi novels. Two brothers wrote Roadside Picnic. Mm-hmm. They wrote, like, an anthology, or, like, these three novels. They got them, like, published in, like, these sci-fi magazines and different stuff like that. Like, that's how Roadside Picnic came out originally. And then they wanted to, like, have, like, a wider release by the Russian government through, like, one of their programs. And basically the book got completely butchered. Oh. In many ways. To the point in which they... Well, what's the term in, like, filmmaking where you don't put your name on the on the film? They gave it an Alan Smithy? Yeah, they gave it an Alan Smithy. Were they like, this is not communist enough? Or they were like, this is too communist? Uh, not communist enough. And then the, the writers had to argue that parts of it were that the government was saying wasn't communist enough, were communist enough. And it was just the, the I don't even, also, weirdly enough, one of the writers is still alive. One of the brothers. Fucking wow. what? Yes, he's still alive. I wonder what he thinks of the movie. Uh, well, he he said the movie was amazing, and like the stuff I read or whatever, he said okay. or the brothers thought the movie was like our just tour de force of the great Tarkovsky. They they spoke very highly of Tarkovsky. Fucking go go Tarkovsky! All right, <laughs> fucking. Even though I'm sure Tarkovsky is, you know, Tarkovsky said himself, you know, it fucking has almost nothing to do with the book. I'm just saying those brothers better taste than Stephen King. Stephen King <laughs> hated The Shining. Really? Well, yeah. okay, but the thing is that. Yeah. The Shining well, yeah, has a plot. The, well, The Shining, yeah. Well, I was about to say The Shining is less like the book than Stalker is like Roadside Picnic, but not really. No, the the, the movie's the, actually like pretty close to the book. Honestly, it's it tone is what the major difference yes. is between it. But that's that's a that's for Kubrick, man. Later down the line. Later, later. far later. Way later. Way down later. The line. <laughs> way way later. But he's like uh, never. <laughs> She she just knows we don't we don't have the time nor money to rent this studio out long enough to do a full Kubrick month. Holy shit, no! Uh-huh. He wants to do a Kubrick year. Oh, I a uh, one because he did like thirteen movies, right? But we don't have to talk about Fear and Desire. Why but, not? Uh, mostly because it's te- technically he tried to burn every print of the film and he disowned it. But you know, whatever. And he failed to do it. He, Failure. I, I know, right? Fucking Kubrick. Yeah, you know, what a hack! He couldn't even burn his own movies. But uh, there's 12 movies, the one a month for the whole year. We could do it. We can do it. Damn it. Who's but, this? We. I know. <laughs> God damn it. Um. But yeah. So 
I have the the last question here, and I think I already figured out the answer. Of course. Is Stalker accessible to a new audience? Could you suggest this to somebody? What is the what is the person you could suggest this to if you can't suggest it to everyone? I mean, I, I think it just really boils down to can you watch a movie with like can you watch a movie that's visually interesting all the way through? A two and a half hour visually interesting movie in which the rest of it might be slightly less than relevant. If you can be like, yeah, sure, I could do that as long as it looks cool or whatever. Yeah, sure. You know, I, I could look through a photo album and be like, wow, that, look, that looks nice. <laughs> you can watch this movie. Sure. Go ahead. <laughs> this movie that's a philosophy textbook and you're like, yeah, it looks pretty. Fucking. I mean, it's really hard to talk about movies that look pretty, mm-hmm. that look good on this podcast. It's just like, you know, when me and Dean did um, Sunrise. Sunrise. It's just such a visual experience. How the fuck am I supposed to talk about it? Am I supposed to describe the shot composition to you? Like, I I remember for that, uh, we just said, so everyone watch the movie. There's a link. But Sunrise is a little different. Sunrise, I think, is like, you know, the best movie ever made. You know, so I can recommend it to just about anybody. Go ahead and watch the movie. It's great. Stalker, on the other hand, is just like, "Mm, well, if, you know, like, it requires some, um, caveat uh, qualifiers if you can sit for two and a half hours and just watch images without much else like that's a good starting point to be like oh you'll like this movie you'll want to watch it mm-hmm. what, what about you miss miss boo i think this is probably you know for like film connoisseurs this is something you know where, that someone wants to sit there and like you said pull out the notepad take mm-hmm. some notes really dive in cut in through you know the meat and potatoes of this movie to what this actually means uh, I don't know how soon I'll watch it again, but I mean, there was a lot in a movie with little dialogue. There was a lot to digest and really try to figure out what's happening in this world. It kind of made it hard to digest in that way. You know, you're you're just gorged yeah. on one like, you know, brick of dialogue and, you know, you're not done digesting by the time the next brick of dialogue comes around. And it doesn't help that Andre Tarkovsky was a fucking poet before he was a filmmaker no. and it's like, guy, can you... <laughs> We get it. You know big words. You know big Russian words, please. <laughs> My small American brain cannot understand. That's literally how I felt it when hurts. I was watching it last time, last <laughs> night. Because I was tired. Like I, It was hard for me to like really process like the mm-hmm. dialogue. It was just going straight through one ear and out the other. I was like, oh my god, I feel stupid. <laughs> <laughs> that is the power of this movie. It can make you feel like a total dumbass if you're Even not ready for the, it. The, the themes are like so, so very heavy handed. I still felt like a dumbass watching it. Same. Randy's like, I totally get what this. I, well, it's a thing where I, I feel like I get what the movie's about. And then if I watch it again tonight, I'd be like, fuck, there's, I, I missed like 40 different things. Like, uh, this, this like three that's, seconds over here, that changed the whole that's movie. That's why it's a perfect movie for the film nerd to watch over and over yeah. and study and digest it and really like. Pick up something brand new every time. Yeah, really tear through the movie. Find every little nook and cranny of information they can get from it. Video essayist's best movie. <laughs> yes, yeah. yes. I, I mean, I'm, I'm agreeing with, with Becky right here. This is a, this is a film nerd movie. Mm-hmm. You know, th- welcome to, to, you know, your, your foreign film month, right? You know, got to do that. Yeah. I, I mean, probably or, foreign film month is going to be full of these. What else we got in foreign film month? Well, well this, full of film nerd movies. Well, this is technically the last the movie. The last episode. Yeah. But, yeah. Cause we had to film these out well, of what, order. I, it's all right. 
Let's see. But we do have the docket. We do. Yeah, so, you know, this month is curated by Dean, so it's going to have movies like Grand Illusion, Tokyo Story, Suspiria, Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. So there's a good mixture. Uh, those all sound like just film nerd movies. I'm excited they for are. Uh, Caligari. Cabinet of Dr. Caligari? Yeah. Like, Dean, I'm That's surprised you put fucking Seven Samurai in here. It, okay, Seven Samurai just won the IMDb Film General uh, Foreign Film Poll or whatever, uh-huh. where it was like it beat out like four hundred other movies and is now voted the number one greatest foreign film of all time. So I might change out Tokyo Story for Seven Samurai, but it is uh, wait, why a, Tokyo Story of all the? Oh no, because to- no, because it represents I was, Jap- Japanese I, cinema. Well, here's the thing though, I wasn't thinking about Tokyo Story. I was thinking about In the Mood for Love. I was getting the oh. two mixed up in my brain. And totally different now, countries. Uh, well, also totally different movies. Um, yeah. yeah, probably switch out Tokyo Story. That movie's depressing as far well, as I know. Also, the premise of the month, not only, you know, we haven't done foreign films on the podcast before, but it's also Dean's 101 into foreign films. So, oh, you know, see. this is for the audience that oh, maybe hasn't, you know, hasn't really, you know, dipped a toe into that water yet and maybe they want to. Definitely switch seven, out seven Tokyo Samurai Story probably... for Seven Samurai. Tokyo Story is just heart-wrenchingly depressing, and only in, in a way only Japanese media can be. <laughs> Randy's like Japanese media hit you right in the fucking soul. Well, just oh, yeah. not just, the heart, the soul. Just the like heart-wrenching, just complete bleakness. Well, as far as I understand of Tokyo Story, I've never seen it, but I have an idea about like different Japanese mediums. You know, I've read a lot of Japanese novels recently, and you know. Everybody's seen some anime. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. They they really know how to get there. Right there. Right in the feels. The, Studio Ghibli. Mm-hmm. Gets me every time. The the only reason... I, I mean, we're probably going to have to switch it up to Seven Samurai because, like, fucking, you, you have to talk about Kurosawa. Mm-hmm. But so the should reason, I change it now? I, I, I would. But <laughs> Live on air. Live <laughs> yes. on air. Changing the month. But the reason work, being work, I work. didn't put it is... So Seven Samurai, I think, is longer than Once Upon a Time in America. Oh, my what the fuck? God. Really? I think so. It's 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 over four hours and it oh, has an intermission. Shit. What the? Or fuck? it's it's. I think it's almost or it is like ten minutes over four Yo, hours. I was totally convinced that all the Kurosawa movies were like two hour long bangers. No, it's a it's a four or five hour long banger, what and it is fuck? it is awesome. <laughs> it is shit. so fucking awesome. I, I just curated and gave you a nice month of movies about movies, and you're gonna do this to me? <laughs> oh yeah, Dean's like <laughs> Dean's gonna. You, I'm you going hard, man. An inch, he's taking a mile. Oh my god. Oh, you're gonna enjoy it. I swear to God, though, it's not like slow. There, it's it's a fucking action movie. Like the Expendables are like we're just stealing Seven Samurai. Magnificent Seven is literally stealing from Magnificent, you know, Seven Samurai. Mm-hmm. It's fucking great. I swear, you're gonna fall in love with Toshiro Mifune, and he will be your new uh, idealistic male for this. I swear. But yeah, so Stalker. Um, you know, we're talking. It's good shit. It's a good movie. Sign Sound. They also think it's a good movie, and this will be the last one because. We were saying it might not be so accessible to everyone. They agreed. So on the 2012 list, it was number 29. On the 2022, it's now 43. It's going to go off the list eventually. I don't don't know if it'll go off the BFI list just because it's such a film nerds movie. And like it's really well shot. I mean, just incredibly well shot. Mm -hmm. Not just talking about what's on screen, but like how they set it up. You know, the dollying over water like i don't see that in like almost any movie and that shit is crazy good in this movie randy's like can't can't we just have a dolly shot over water for 
every film? Can not I get every film, but like in, in some other movies, that, like you know, come on now. Yeah. Can, can we just like fill like more movies up with like ankle deep water? We like water. It, it's I. It's a good trope to have in your movies, or a good theme to have in your movies. I I, I feel you know Ben Hur could have done with some of that. You know, just some dolly shots over that. It would have won its twelfth Oscar if it did. Yeah, big sure. Could have done true. it. Could have done it. I mean, Lord of the Rings did do some of that with the swamps. They did. Peter Jackson, he's definitely seen Stalker. At least once. At least once. But yeah, so uh, big fan. I was two thumbs up for Stalker for me. I really do like this movie. I'm wa- waffling. Before, I was like, oh yeah, Stalker, amazing movie. Love it. You put it on your like favorites or best list thing when you did that. I did. And now I'm like, well, I don't know. Like, <laughs> It's still probably like best movies I've seen. Yeah, maybe top 10 or something like that. But like on my favorites movie, it's probably getting knocked down a little bit. I blame the book. <laughs> You're just like, the book's too good. It's too pulpy. The book is like, it's so it's so different, and it's more of what I wanted from the movie. Like, I read the book, and I'm just like, yeah, I'd rather have this. I mean, though, you know, nobody's... No, because Tarkovsky made Stalker, and it is such like a monument of filmmaking, you yeah. know? Mm-hmm. Nobody's ever going to remake it into what more like the book. So, yeah, it's kind of what I have to just deal I've I've thought about that like could this could have made a great mini series if HBO like ever got like this hair up their ass we're gonna make a stalker mini series this would be kind of fire if they just adapted the book oh god yes or, like closer to that yes but yeah. I mean that's just me though so not you a would... Netflix adaptation though oh no, fuck no no, no. God, ne- no Netflix is dead to me oh no I'm just gonna leave it like that F- fuck Netflix yeah just leave it on Netflix is dead to me and just end the podcast right there. <laughs> We, we won't do that because uh what are we doing next week i forgot i forgot what we're doing okay. you what are we spiel. doing the week after the release of this podcast yes yes, yes. yes. let's so, let's do that next week new month new theme and it's a theme that's not completely foreign to the podcast because we're talking about a movie we've already talked about before it's our highest listened to episode on youtube i think we hit 41,000 or 42,000 on this episode? I think I think it might be even over that now. Because next week, we're going back to Hominoptra. We're talking about The Mummy. I'm okay with that. That was that was good. That was good shit. Take it back to the booth. But yeah, we're talking about Brendan Fraser, Mummy, Stephen Sommers directed it, I believe. I believe so. Uh, Rachel Weiss. Yeah, and you've got some time under your belt. You'll be able to talk about the movie a little bit more fluidly. A little, a little, a little bit. Yeah, but we're gonna have um, some guests on that episode. But yeah, we're gonna be talking about the Mummy franchise. We're going back to Hominatra. We're gonna talk about the Mummy franchise. I am so excited. I'm, I'm very excited. I've, I've been waiting for this shit. Me too. We're gonna have some guests throughout the, the month of the Mummy. But if you want to listen to us on a different platform than you currently are, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. You can go to our YouTube channel, The Film Vault. That is The Film Vault on YouTube, where eventually Dean will remember to upload video versions of this podcast. My lovely slideshows. You Yay. can go there, like, comment, subscribe, and you can follow us on our socials at the Film Club Podcast on Instagram, where we post daily stories, upcoming episodes, and random adventures we go on. And Randy, would you like to plug anything before we go? What what YouTube or you know <laughs> Twitch are you watching? Uh, our TZ uh, is streaming Dota two recently. I hope he's still streaming by the time this podcast comes out. <laughs> Are you, are you gonna be so happy if Arteezy hits you up and be like, "Yo, dude, thanks for the shout out." Thanks for the shout out. <laughs> Hell yeah, dude. That would that would be the dream. Yeah, dude. My boy Arteezy Ti five. 
I'm just saying, you know, Randy, you've won as many TIs as Arteezy. Yeah, me, me and Arteezy are just as good as Dota 2. <laughs> we've won the same amount of TIs. But with that... We'll see you next week at the phone club. Have a good week, everybody. Bye-bye.